my great joy to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. As you do so, uh, let me say uh, a couple of things that I think need to be said today. And one is, after being here 11 years as your pastor, uh, you, have, uh, you have done more for me uh, than I have done for you by far. You have helped shape and form me. You have shown me a gospel community like I have never known before. And uh, I will be eternally transformed because of the fact that God in His providence allowed me to rub shoulders uh, with you and to serve together as a family. The other thing is, um, all of the people who stood up in the second group, like me who've been around here 11 years, this church was in a very difficult place 11 years ago. Without the group of people who stuck it out and are still here, this packed room today does not happen. Uh, we, uh, we received an inheritance of faithfulness through difficult times. And so all the new folks around here understand this does not happen without people who faced down some challenging days and stayed faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd also remind you that we have almost no staff turnover here. Uh, that's because of you. <laughs> you bless the staff. You encourage the staff. You follow the leadership of the staff. So they don't want to go anywhere. They want to serve, <clears throat> serve with folks like you. And this staff team is, is an amazing group of folks. And I also want to be clear today that this packed room like this doesn't happen without faithful and supportive deacons who aren't trying to be quasi-pastors ruling the church, but rather are willing to be what God called them to be, and that is servant leaders. Acts chapter 6 specifically connects faithful deacons in the life of the church to the growth of the church. And uh, by their very nature, most of those men are behind-the-scenes people. Uh, but they are men of whom we should rise up and call blessed because God has given his favor upon us by placing those men here. And so we do gather here as a people who have been blessed in amazing ways. We're going to take a sort of helicopter look at Hebrews 11, and then we're going to land in one spot together this morning. I want to invite you to stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect and precious word. I'm going to read Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 28. Let me also say that as the Madison County campus gathers with us this morning, I remember in those early days when there were only a couple hundred of us, and I was saying things like, you know, when we grow to a certain level around 600 on Sunday, we're going to plant churches because uh, I don't think it's good stewardship to be infinitely large on one site. And we were praying about that back then. Of course, people were looking at me when it was about 200, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when we get to 600, yeah, fine, do whatever you want. Uh, and uh, the Madison County folks who are here today, you're the answer to a decade-long prayer. A decade-long prayer. So it's a unique blessing this morning. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have allowed us the privilege to be here together this morning. We thank you for the way you've already shaped and formed us by the cross of Jesus Christ, by the truth of the word of Christ, and we pray that you would shape us again this morning. Help us to receive your word with eager and glad hearts. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. What we have come here to do today is emphatically not new. It's old, ancient even. In fact, if it were not, we would not even be here. There are two distinct ways of living. We've been really helped by Randy Alcorn's illustration of those two distinct ways of living. Living for the dot are living for the line that never ends, that extends into eternity. He points out that we have a tendency and that we all by nature live for the dot, this little speck of time on the line of eternity, and we live for the dot like it's the end all be all, and we do not take into account the reality of eternity. So there are those who live for the dot, and there are those who live for eternity, and there are those struggling in between. That way of understanding explains Hebrew cha- Hebrews chapter 11, sometimes called the, the faith chapter or the hall of faith. Let me be very clear. These are not character studies to emulate. It's not what's going on here. It's not he had courage, you have courage. He was honest, you be. That's not what's going on here. They're not character studies to emulate, but rather they are faith stories to follow. We want to walk in their line, not pulling ourselves up by our boots and trying to emulate these characteristics, but we want to follow their faith. The only obedience that is true obedience is the obedience of faith. The obedience that flows out of trust in God. Not obedience that we abstract from faith. These are faith stories to follow. And Hebrews 11 can essentially be understood in this way. This is a catalog of people who did not live their lives for the dot. They lived their lives in light of eternity. Those who live for the dot end up being self-serving with a right-now perspective. Those who live in light of eternity, united by faith to Christ, are to live with a self-sacrificial understanding and an eternal perspective. So we've got 
self-serving right now, or we've got following Christ self-sacrificially in light of eternal promises. When I first got to Ashland Avenue 11 years ago, there was a man who was born in 1915 named Stanley Manning. He's not alive anymore. But I was having a conversation with him one time, and he was telling me the story about a time in which the church was in some debt and didn't know how they were going to pay the bills. And and he was talking about praying about that, having a special day for that. And he told me the story about a particular man who sold a house that he owned so he could give the money to get the church out of debt. And what got me was not the story, but what he said next. He said, stories like that have not been unusual at Ashland Avenue. People who live for the line. Clarence Walker, the first pastor of this church, was a pastor over 50 years. In 1955, he urged the church with these words, that they were not to just provide for our own need, but to invest in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, both now and for those who will come after us. Do not just live for the dot, but live in light of the line of eternity in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Hebrews is calling us to. Look at the very first verse in Hebrews. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, now notice how he keeps looking at your life now and stretching it into eternity with your thoughts. Look at Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, Not the dot of this homeland, but a homeland to come. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Look at verses 39 through 40, the end of the chapter. And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Then chapter 12 says, there's a great cloud of these witnesses. And then it says that we are to live looking unto Jesus. The line extends to eternity. This is the people who do not live for the dot, but they live for the line. The the catalog of people is amazing. First of all, there's Abel. It says that he offered an acceptable sacrifice to God, a particular sacrifice that God found acceptable. And it says, though he died, he still speaks. His life, here and now, continues to speak in light of eternity. It talks about Enoch, who it says, pleased God, and God took him up to be with him. He did not live for the dot pleasing man, but he pleased God. It talks about Noah, who said that God gave him a warning for things not yet seen, 
but he built the ark anyway. He lived for the future promise of God. It talks about Abraham. Abraham was a man who was told to go out from his own country. He did not know where he was going. But he tells us that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Talks about Sarah, who was old and barren, and yet it says she considered him faithful. It talks about Abraham again, who offered his own son, his only son, the prayed-for, promised son, Isaac, on the altar. Why? Because he believed something about God based on eternity, that God could raise him from the dead. Talks about Isaac, who invoked future blessings on his sons in light of the promise of God. Jacob, who when dying, blessed the sons of Joseph, thinking into eternity. It talks about Joseph himself. When he died, he gave instructions about what were to be done with his bones. Why? Because he believed the promise of God in the future that he was going to deliver his people to the promised land. And it talks about a man named Moses who we are thinking about here this morning. Self-serving right now, the dot. Self-giving, eternal perspective, the line of eternity. Now, even as I say that, I know this. A lot of people say, that's right. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a self-giving person who has an eternal perspective. And I say, great, I'm glad to hear it. Now let's talk about your money. And a lot of you squirm in your seat. And you say, oh, great. Now he's trying to get my money. And my response to that is, yep. And I'm totally unapologetic about it. And there's a reason why. It's because the Bible keeps telling us That money, that treasure, that stuff is one of those primary things we want to hold back. It's one of those primary things that we want to be self-serving with. So we try to detach it from the rest of our lives. Oh, I'm worried about spirituality. And he's talking about something worldly like money. He's talking about something so, so crass as money. I don't define my life in that way. I define my life spiritually. Uh, You hear people say things like, my money does not have anything to do with my spiritual life. That line has been tried before. In fact, he's described as a rich, young ruler. Matthew 19.22 says, when the young man heard this, what? He heard Jesus tell him, that he can't compartmentalize his life, that, that faith, that trust, involves trust with all of life. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He's all excited. I'll follow this teacher. I love this spiritual message. Okay, about your money. Now think I'll pass. Do do you see that? That's a connection being made here in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
In fact, in the Bible, you'll see something amazing if you'll notice it. Whenever there is talk of the kingdom of God, whenever there's talk of the mission of the spread of the gospel, whenever there's talk about Jesus' role as Messiah, the messianic kingdom, what ends up being infused into the conversation is talk about treasure, money, possessions. We saw it in the book of Acts last week. The, here's the kingdom, and the kingdom is going to spread to the ends of the earth. Okay, the people pulled all their money together and gave to those in need. The people sent out missionaries. It is always tied together. And I want us to consider this morning a specific example from Hebrews chapter 11. A specific example that says, with how you view treasure, with how you view money and possessions, here is somebody who did not live for the dot. Rather, they live for the line. And I want us to consider this in light of three categories of life. They're categories that all of us face. They're issues that we all deal with, and we all have to personally decide how we're going to respond to these three categories. Is it going to be living for the dot, or is it going to be living for the line of eternity in Jesus Christ? The first one of those categories is time. Time. Look at verses 24 and 25. Look with me there. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, you understand this. Moses was ended up in a basket. His parents wanted to save him from the edict. He ends up being uh, raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And it makes a specific point here that when he was grown up, he cho chose not to live as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, this wasn't rash. This wasn't a child just not getting his way. This was a deliberate, conscious decision by Moses to live his life in a particular way. Look with me, beginning in verse 25. Choosing. The word carries a, a sense of deliberateness, deliberate choice. He counted the cost, and here's what he chose. Choosing, rather, to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting, the, the temporary, you see, this is about time. Rather than enjoy the fleeting or temporary pleasures of sin. A deliberate choice because he knew this. He knew that he could, he could either be a prince in Egypt or he could identify with the Jews and Yahweh their God. That's his choice. He couldn't do both. He couldn't be a prince in Egypt persecuting the people of God and identify with the God, Yahweh, the Lord, or the people that he had to choose. It was either prince in Egypt or identifying with the people of God. This would have been the 19th Egyptian dynasty. To be the son of Pharaoh's daughter would be power, wealth, and prestige. In fact, let me put it like this. It would have been a situation where at any moment that he had any desire for anything 
all he would have to do is to express his wish, and he would have it. Any possession, any money, any course of events, somebody that he wants done away with, some honor, some title, anything, he could have had it just simply at the command of his voice. But it tells us in verse 24, he refused. There's something he refused, and there's something he chose. He refused to live for the dot. He refused to think, listen, if I just live for this here and now, think about how great it will be. Think of what I will be able to provide myself. Think of the food I will be able to enjoy, the drink I will be able to have, the women I will be able to enjoy. Think about the fact that everyone will answer to me. He refused to sum up his life based on the dot. But rather, he stepped back, and he looked into eternity, and he said, there is a God, and his name is Yahweh. He is the Lord God Almighty. He's the maker of heaven and earth, and he has promised to bless not Pharaoh's house, but this people. I am going to live giving my life for this people. Willing to suffer. Willing to sacrifice. Willing to give up all kinds of stuff. Not so you will feel sorry for him, but because eternity promises so much more than the dot. When we live for the dot, when we live for the right now, Here's what we think. I've got to control it. I've got this limited number of of time, and I'm not in that great shape. I've, I've got to do everything I want to do now because this is all I have. This is the amount of time I have. And so when you live for the dot, it's almost impossible not to have your own personal desires to be Lord. Why would I go hungry? Why would I do without? Why would I serve other people when I could serve myself? Why would I not provide for me? This is all I've got. But when you live for the line of eternity, this is a speck. It's a vapor. It's a mist. It's not all you've got. In fact, the dot is fleeting. So you're liberated in the fleeting from being self-serving and thinking about right now. That's the reason why the most courageous people in the world ought to be the followers of Jesus Christ. And the least hand-wringing, whining people ought to be the followers of Jesus Christ. You cannot hand-wring and whine in Jesus' name. You do that in your own name, even if you try to co-opt Jesus for it. You're liberated to be courageous. You're liberated to live under the most difficult circumstance, but you know it's fleeting. And notice what he says in verse 25, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Well, he doesn't name a sin. Living for the dot is the sin. 
It's a sin to live like there is no eternity. It's a sin to live for you and to have your desires be Lord when Jesus is Lord. It's a sin to live for the dot and not the line. But that's also true in relation to treasure. Look with me at verse 26. He considered. The word means counted. He reckoned. This is the way he trained himself to think. Now, I want you to see three key words here that are, that are absolutely fundamental for all of us. He refused. He chose. He considered. Because he was considering, he was able to refuse to make a different choice, and then he's reconsidering again. We call that, this year, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. It means refusing, choosing, and considering. It means looking to Jesus again and again and again. But notice how it continues. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Now, if you're a prince in the house of Egypt, you got it made in terms of the dot. If you step away from being a prince in the house of Egypt to identify with the people of God and their God, you do not have it made in the dot. But you're blessed for all eternity. He chose the reproach of Christ. Notice it mentions Christ here. All of these things that were happening among the people of God in Moses as a mediator, the deliverance, the Passover who it, that it mentions later, all of that is pointing ahead to Christ, identifying with the people of God and their promised Messiah was bearing the reproach of Christ for Moses. And he says that don't feel sorry for me. Don't look around and say, oh, Moses, he's just had a tough life. He says, no, I am pursuing the greater wealth. I don't care about the puny reward of the dot when I can have the eternal reward of the kingdom of Christ. This is not, woe is me, feel sorry for me. It's the exact opposite of that. It is greater wealth. If we pick up the words that are used throughout Hebrews 11, he was living for what is hoped for, what was not seen. The city whose builder and maker is God. A better homeland, a better country, a heavenly country. The resurrection of the dead. The blessings of the people of God. Because God has something better for us. Bearing the reproach of Christ to live for the kingdom of Christ is greater wealth, a better reward a better kingdom than the kingdom that you can build in the dot, even if your name is Pharaoh. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Like always, here we have this chapter of faith about the work of God in redemptive history. And what does the chapter bring up? Treasure. Money. Walking away from the treasures of Egypt, the wealth of the kingdom, being a prince in Egypt. Walking away from that for a greater wealth. A greater wealth only when defined in light of eternity. It always works this way. Money has an important place in our lives 
as a tool. It is a wonderful tool, and it helps bring us along and sanctify us as long as we see it as a tool to mark our commitment of God, but it makes a terrible God. Do you see that? One of the ways that you serve God is by profaning money. One of the ways that you serve money is by trusting in it and profaning God. If it's for the now, all that matters is the money. But if we say, look, God has blessed me with this money. Let me give this to the work of the kingdom. And you do it with a glad heart. You're profaning it. You're saying, you are a tool in the kingdom of God. You will be burned up in a rubbish pile one day, but the kingdom of God will stand. Do do you see that? That's the reason why Jesus puts on opposite sides. You cannot serve God and mammon because money is always a threat to become an idol. Instead of profaning it, we have a tendency to trust it. For some of you, this has been the one place where you've been holding out. We try to have it both ways that are both acts of rebellion against God. We want to live for the dot and be very self-focused. It's about what I'm doing. It's about what... And then when we think about God, we want God to serve our earthiness, our our nitty-gritty of our lives. But then we say, okay, one of the ways you serve God is in the nitty-gritty of your lives. You show the priority. Whoa, I don't want to talk about that. I I just want to talk about spirituality. Don't talk about something as common as money. So we want to be self-focused, but to free ourselves from our accountability to show the supremacy of Christ by claiming spirituality. But the Bible keeps doing this. It keeps getting everything to the nitty-gritty. I wonder today if you'll go away sad. I wonder. See, you can't compartmentalize what's important. What's important is Christ. That is to be evident in all parts of your life. With your time, your treasure, and everything else. Have you ever thought about money and bills? You know, you think about, you get that bill in your hand, think about all the different hands it's passed through. I'm going to cause Pastor Jeremy to break out into a rash even as I talk about it. I mean, think about the hands. Somebody's wiping spit off their face, and then they grab that dollar. You know, I came in the office one day, and Pastor Jeremy had the, the uh, antibacterial stuff rubbing it on his head. Like, you're weird. But money, I mean, it's so grimy, it's so dirty, it's so nitty-gritty, it's so real world. We can't live without it, but we are told not to serve it. So think about all the different grimy, dirty, all kinds of hands that money has passed through. And then all of a sudden, that bill lands in the hand of a follower of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden that bill has a new pathway. See, the follower of Jesus Christ doesn't look at that bill the same way those do who are apart from Christ. The follower of Jesus Christ says, an instrument to be used to the glory of God. 
Let me serve God by profaning this. Let me use it like an instrument. I've said before, money's kind of like a lawnmower. You need one. I need one so my boys can use it to cut the grass. But you need one. But if you were ever to gather in front of your lawnmower and begin to worship it, that would be horrible. Money's an instrument. But if you ever gather before your bank account and begin to trust it and worship it, that's horrible. The nitty-grittiness of life doesn't get any more every day than the money that passes through countless hands and then it lands in the hands of a believer and it's leveraged for the sake of eternity. The money itself is redeemed. One more category. That category is fear. Look with me at verses 27 and 28. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Who is that? That's God. That's God's eternal kingdom. He wasn't afraid of the anger of the king because he bowed before the king, the king of kings. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. He believed the messianic promise. He bowed before the king, creator of all the universe, the king of kings. He, he, he participated in the Passover, which pointed ahead ultimately to the, the Lord's Supper, the work of Christ, the shedding of blood for the remission of sins, being delivered by the blood of the Lamb. He participated in that. He was involved in that. He identified with the God and the people of God. And he did not fear the king. Why? Because he feared God. He bowed before God. He reverenced God. God who had made promises to him and his people. Let me be really clear about this. Everybody fears something. In fact, everybody fears someone. You're not the only one who doesn't fear. The only thing that you're doing is choosing whom to fear. If you fear and reverence and bow before one who's promised good to, to, to those who turn to him in faith, and he is the most powerful being in the universe, then you can fear him and look out and fear no other. But if you fear somebody else, it's always a matter of strategic allegiances. And that's why it's hard to have integrity when you live for the dot. It's hard to have personal integrity when you live for the right now because you're always figuring out where to give your loyalty, what to bow before, who to fear to help get what you want. Here, in this uh, context, Moses, the right now perspective would be the king of Egypt. Oh, some, some, some God you can't see? Oh, let's see what he does for you. I'll chop your head off. That's right now perspective. Moses says, okay, I'll still live for that king. It's a choice we all make. Do we live for the kings and the kingdoms we build and often the king that we see in the mirror? Or do we live for the king of kings and fear no other? So here we are again. For some, this is perfect timing because you need to deal with this one area that you've been separating and say, my spirituality, my Christian life doesn't have anything to do with that. Pastor Jeremy has a theory, it's this. 
Pastor Jeremy says that people, when it comes to money and giving, try their best not to understand what you're saying. So, so whether it's conscious or subconscious, I don't give it. What are those funds again? I, I, just, I just don't really. He's a, and it's sort of a default mechanism. If I don't understand, I have plausible deniability, and I don't really have to respond because it's because I didn't understand. I think there's something to that. We do that in all kinds of areas of our lives. But here we are. And some have said, quit talking about money. I want to talk about spirituality. Don't talk about money. Talk about love. What if love has something to do with money? What if Jesus talked about money all the time? What if we have a great cloud of witnesses who live for the dot? And what if we're called to follow them in faith looking toward Jesus who is liberating us from the treasures of Egypt and the treasures from Fifth, Third, and Central Bank as well? What if we believe that our commitment to the gospel ought to be expressed in believing that it's greater wealth so we serve God by profaning money and using it for the purposes of the kingdom of God? Now, our only question is not whether or not money is important. Our question is whether or not we will be good stewards of the blessings God has given us with our time, our treasure, and our fear. With our time, will we serve the dot or eternity? Our treasure, will we serve the dot or eternity? With our fear, Will we fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, Jesus says? Or will we fear him who can kill both body and soul? I told you a story about a man who sold his house. I'll tell you about another story. I was talking to Herschel York, who used to be pastor here a while back, and he was telling me the story about a, man, a, a woman named Miss Aiken. He said this woman was, her hands were disfigured, arthritic she had a cleft palate she had some trouble speaking she sounded gruff that everything that she did and every movement that she made caused her constant pain and to look at her was to feel that pain yourself because it was so difficult for her to move effectively and they had a day just like this a day talking about whether or not we'll Invest in eternity or just think about the now. And that, that lady who could hardly move her hands didn't have any money. She was trying to figure out, how can I give? What can I do? So she started knitting lace and selling it and giving the money. Knitting lace. Every movement, he said, was absolutely excruciatingly painful but there she kept knitting and kept selling and kept giving. That's what this is about. Somebody asked me not too long ago, if I only had 35 cents and I gave it, would that matter? You're asking the wrong questions. When you're asking about a mouth, those are the wrong questions. God is forming us as a people as we surrender all of our lives to him. And for one person's sacrifice may be selling a house. 
and giving the money. And for another person, it may be every excruciating stitch. Why would you do that when it's so painful? It's not just the dot. It's eternity. You know, one of the things about Hebrews 11, it doesn't just talk about the high spots. It talks about the people who were killed. People who didn't glorify God by ending up uh, with the, the mouths of lions shut, but rather people who glorified God by ending up giving their life in service to God. It's not just the high points. It's also those who seem to be failures in this world. You know what it says about those? Hebrews eleven thirty eight through 40, it talks about it, but he says they are ones of whom the world is not worthy. People who, no matter what they have, believe that the most strategic thing that they could be doing is living a self-giving life in reflection to Jesus and his gospel and living for eternity. Little old ladies knitting lace through our three cans has everything to do with the kingdom of God. I wonder if this comes at just the right time for you. That you can quit lying to yourself. That there are certain categories that you can keep out and push out of spirituality. Say, so with that, that's just about here and now. That's just about earth. That's just about worldly. There's nothing that fits in that category. Everything is about the kingdom. I pray that we would be a people who believe that the treasures of Egypt are a lesser wealth than the reproach of Christ. And a people who believe that homes are a lesser wealth than the reproach of Christ. And a people who believe the pain of arthritic hands knitting lace is greater wealth than not doing it. Let's pray.